This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to The Property Show on the Morning Run. I'm Sim Weeboon. COVID-19 may be front and centre of public attention right now, but up north in Penang, state administrators are contending with a separate issue as a debate against a multi-billion dollar island building plan has been making headlines again. Critics of the project contend that the 4,500-acre blueprint for the Penang South Reclamation Project, known as Biodiversity, will have a devastating impact on the environment and insists it is not necessary given the vast tracts of lands available elsewhere. But the Penang government says that the project will create job opportunities, draw investment and through a land deal with developers, fund a new public transport network which will address the island's congestion issues. Now, Land reclamation is not something new. From Denmark to Singapore, urban planners have reclaimed land from the sea for decades for offices, apartment buildings and tourism. But is this necessary for Penang Island to thrive? What kind of impact will it have? To help me with this discussion is city planning and urban design researcher Dr. Louis Sier, who is the assistant professor at the Department of Architecture and Civil Engineering in City University, and an urban planning expert, Professor Alain Sharadia, the program director of the Masters of Urban Design at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, welcome to the show. Um, I want to start off with the land reclamation. Uh, professor Alain, could you briefly explain how does land reclamation work? Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, there's two kind of uh, mainly uh, two kind of reclamation. One is um, a classic one is like filling with sand, filling with material, kind of, uh, and then creating recreating land in a way. Another one is uh, a little bit different. It's called a polder, done by the Dutch, which is uh, to create a, a dike around uh, the area you want to reclaim and to drain it, so to remove the water. So one kind of uh, then the second one is uh, the, the land level is below water level. So that's I mean the, the two key kind of like uh, aspect of reclamation. And uh, the first one obviously I mean you need to buy some sand, which I mean at the moment uh, become is becoming very costly because there's a lot of reclamation, and as well there's uh, some restriction of uh, where the sand comes from and so on and so forth. So that's uh, become quite an issue in uh, recent times. So there's criticisms that land reclamation projects usually devastate the marine life and the environment. Um, what are your insights to these uh, criticisms in the sense that how it affects the general environment? Uh, maybe, uh, Dr. Sia, you have an input on this? Um, well, I think uh, I think that that's certainly the, one of the issues that's also come out a, a lot in Hong Kong. Um, you really, you, you do need, uh, when you do anything large, whether it's reclamation or other forms of uh, development, you, you need a whole battery of, of studies and done by a whole lot of experts. We are uh, in urban planning and city design, but we will be working, you know, if we were working on something like this, we'd be working with a whole range of engineering experts, including environmental experts and so on. And there should be even much smaller projects than what is proposed, a lot of impact uh, studies that should be done, impact assessments. So from EIAs, which are environmental impact assessments, um, transport impact assessments, uh, and social impact assessments. So um, it's it's a, uh, a question that then those uh, studies should be giving you. The question is whether or not the, um, the uh, advantages or the value of what is created, and when I say value, I don't mean money value necessarily, is going to be greater than what, uh, what you might be destroying. 
if you see what I mean. So that's always the, the weighing up that's got to be done in any sort of project, uh, including, of course, uh, reclamation. And reclamation has been done way, way, way uh, longer than the, what, the, the examples you mentioned in your, in your introduction. So think about the Dutch, for example, how much of the Netherlands was underwater and has been reclaimed. Uh, they, the Dutch actually were exporting their reclamation expertise to England, for example, uh, as long ago as, I can't remember now, I think it's the 1700s, where they helped the, the, uh, the English reclaim uh, a whole uh, area of um, East Anglia, so the eastern part of the country, in the Dutch way. So you get lots of windmills in that part of England as well. Professor Alan, do you have any input in this? Uh, well, there's quite a lot of, I mean, relatively uh, class of impact in a way, like I think there will be, for example, uh, that I mean, everybody can think of uh, the, the water current might be affected. Uh, they may be, I mean, uh, oxygen depletion. I mean, as well, you have to consider the two sides of I mean, during the reclamation time uh, itself and after reclamation when the project is completed. So they might be as well, um, so that it's during the reclamation, there's uh, uh, pollution from kind of like uh, a trouble in the water and so on and so forth in a way. As well, you, you may have a change in uh, current speed uh, that may increase or decrease. If you decrease, I mean, you have like a stagnant uh, uh, water that may create odors and, and, and so on and so forth. So you have a, a, a lot of things. Obviously, I mean, the environmental um, habitat will be disturbed in a, in a great way. There will be some loss of environmental habitat. So from a city planning or a urban planning perspective, when does it make sense for an island or a coastline to undergo a reclamation? Uh, is there any other land somewhere else? I mean, uh, right. so it's kind of like, are we short of land or is quite interesting in the way Singapore is a city-state, so they don't have anywhere to go. So this is something that, I mean, uh, is quite different from uh, Penang, which is part of Malaysia, which has kind of, uh, and so on and so forth in a way. So the question is whether do you need it? Um, is, there, is there also a way to kind of like uh, where people could go or could be integrated and so on? So, I mean, the shortage of land of Penang is kind of like to be um, demonstrated. I mean, it seems to, to us, to, I mean, at least to me, that I mean, uh, looking at the map of the state of Penang, I mean, there's a lot of land that we kind of like um, probably use the question is like, is it in the right place? Is it the right thing, the right place to build anywhere? And so on. So this kind of like the question. And as we say, is it crowded? <laughs> so what's the need of Penang in a way? Or would it be um, easier to kind of like uh, go a little bit upward in a way? So if everything is like a one story high, I mean, would it be kind of like uh, if we kind of increase uh, the kind of height to two story height? I mean, we can imagine that can create suddenly a big uh, planning um, capacity. I think to summarize that, probably it's it's a complex question. When does it make sense for an island or coastline to undergo land reclamation? It's a complex question and not only a physical one. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on what options you have for creating space and then also what options you have for creating uh, value for communities. And again, value is, is used in a non-monetary sense, necessar- not necessarily a monetary sense. Um, so, for example, um, Hong Kong, a uh, couple of years ago, uh, land supply is a big headache in Hong Kong, at least it's, it's supposed to be a big headache. So about two years ago, the government uh, had a task force set up that looked at, I think, 17 um, different options for where they could find land from. And the problem in Hong Kong of not enough land is much, much, much more intense than in Penang. So just 
not thinking about um, uh, uh, mountains aside, okay, um, Hong Kong as a territory is the same size as Penang, I think, as a state. Um, and that's about 1,000 square kilometers, give and take. Um, Penang has 1.6 or 1.7 million people, well, less than 2 million. Hong Kong has 7.5 million. But Hong Kong's uh, um, hilly bits are actually much bigger than Penang State's hilly bits. So the, 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 um, the comparison is somehow there, but also not there. So Hong Kong, of course, has gone upwards, which is quite interesting. Um, if you look at Singapore, Singapore is about half the size of Penang State, mm -hmm. and there are 6 million people there. Of course, Singapore is a lot flatter, so you've got to sort of discount that a little bit. But if you think about just very, very crudely, um, does Penang have an overcrowding problem? It definitely has a, seems like it has a traffic jam problem. Um, that seems to be the thing that everybody talks about. Um, we, are, we, By the way, we don't actually know very, very much about Penang. We just happen to have visited and, and talked um, but that seems to be the, the worry, you know, the, the traffic congestion. Uh, Penang has a huge, uh, high proportion of car ownership. I think Alain knows those figures better than me uh, compared to Hong Kong, for example. Yeah, I think this is uh, that's about uh, more than 60% uh, of the population that are kind of like own a car or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, in Hong Kong is about um, 11 or 12% and in, uh, in Singapore is about 17%. So that's a huge difference in a way. And so I think, I mean, picking Penang or picking uh, Hong Kong for uh, making a comparison uh, I guess, I mean, it just, I mean, depends what you want to demonstrate in a way. You want to forget everything else and you show that, I mean, it's been done over there, so you can do it over here. Uh, that's uh, easy to, to say. And the question is, like, the circumstances are that different. And um, and as well as sometimes the case, like, uh, look, I mean, uh, Singapore is uh, having 60% public transport, but they are still building uh, road, or uh, Hong Kong as well have 9% of... Uh, of public transport, but they are still building roads. So why should we not kind of like build more roads? The question is not that question. I think I mean there is much less road by per capita in Hong Kong than anywhere in the world, and so I mean you have to compare. If you want to compare like for like, you have to kind of having a holistic uh, view in a way. So that's um, that's one aspect. And I mean there is something that is known quite known now. Uh, you don't solve uh, congestion by building more road. In fact, I mean, <laughs> more road create more congestion. So I think, I mean, uh, of course, if you ask um, an engineering company, a construction, uh, an engineering construction company, if uh, more road is kind of like um, necessary, they will always say yes because they have an interest in the way. But if you ask them, is this uh, the right uh, way of kind of going about uh, dealing with congestion, might be a different question. I mean, you you get a different answer as well. Okay, yeah, Malaysians, we love our cars. But for a country where car ownership is very high, is building roads the only solution? I mean, what options do we really have? Um, clearly, own less cars it is probably part of the solution. But also getting people out of their cars and into public transport or walking. Now you think, oh my God, it's so hot in Penang, who's going to walk? Well, it's hot in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong has one of the highest... Uh, rates of walking in the world. So, of course, they air condition the corridors and so on, but people still also walk on the streets as well. Um, and that's because people have to walk to public transport. So somehow they go together. Um, if you uh, don't have a huge public transport sol uh, a solution that is kind of uh, works very well over longer distances, well, you can try and develop a city planning system or urban planning system that uh, encourages 
multiple diverse users to be closer together so that people can walk without having to go too far and get too sweaty um, to wherever they need to go, to their local supermarket, their local corner shop, to um, their kids' uh, kindergarten, to the playground and so on. But you do need somehow, I would say, this can be misinterpreted, but a strong government and a strong political will to be to put those institutional structures in place to deliver that sort of urban planning solution. So it's not just does reclamation work or not. Uh, what are the options that are there? And in those options, how can I ensure that people want to be distributed and are distributed in the city in a way that stops them all from clumping into one place at the same time or clumping onto the roads? At rush hour, um, I would say. Well, it seems that I mean uh, one one key thing that uh, seems missing um, is like, uh, do we understand how people move in uh, in Penang, for example, not just uh, the island, but I mean as well the, the whole state in a way. And do we know where they go uh, to and from? Uh, so we know rough number in a way. Okay, it's so many people have a car, so many people have a motorbike, and so on. So many people uh, use uh, public transport, and uh, so many people use uh, all the kind of transport. But I think there is question a little bit more sophisticated. They say where they travel to, what are where is the location of a kind of a job, where is the location where people live. So there's a lot of uh, aspect uh, like this in a way that need give you a, a better understanding of what is happening. I haven't seen any such kind of uh, transport uh, characterization survey in a way uh, in, uh, in Penang. So, so the, usually the focus is like, look at this road, she's it's full of cars, there's nowhere to go. So the solution is like, okay, we need to do another road somewhere else. Anyway. I think, I mean, I think that's what, uh, before getting into a very large mega project in a way, there is an understanding that is needed in a way before kind of like, uh, so much uh, effort and money into uh, those things. All right, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. PFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned into the Property Show on the Morning Run. I'm Sim Weeboon and with me today are city planning and urban design researcher Dr. Louis Sier, who is the assistant professor at the Department of Architecture and Civil Engineering in City University and an urban planning expert, Professor Alain Sharadia, the program director of the Master of Urban Design at the University of Hong Kong. And today we're talking about land reclamation and how it fits into the planning of a city. City. This comes after the recent headlines regarding the Penang South Reclamation Project. Now, guys, I want to ask uh, somewhat a somewhat conceptual question. When it comes to land reclamation efforts, is it usually more developer-driven than people-driven? I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is it, is it usually being pushed more by developers who want to build more buildings to sell or land bank rather than to find a solution to provide people with more land and space? Well, I, I think, I mean, you, you allude to some kind of like, um, there's two parts to it. There's like, okay, what is the trajectory, the demographic trajectory of uh, this Penang as an island or Penang as a, t- a state? I think it's kind of growing, so there's, uh, there's a need. And the question then is like, how do you cater for those needs? There's, uh, uh, there's different way in a way. There's, uh, uh, there's uh, some difference between uh, Hong Kong and uh, and, and Singapore and uh, and Penang is like the ownership of land uh, in uh, in both in uh, in Singapore and uh, Hong Kong land is really owned by the government and so there's kind of like a big revenue for the government to kind of like uh, use uh, reclamation and um, 
kind of sell it for development. And there's different kind of attitude in a way. Uh, usually, uh, Singapore quite control well the whole process. Singapore uh, is kind of like, um, I would say, gets uh, most of the added value in a way, the capital, say, captures the, the added value uh, of transport. Hong Kong has been good at it as well, for example, in developing uh, what's called uh, rail and property, which is kind of like uh, public transport, uh, where I've been mean, uh, developing around uh, the station, uh, create added value, and that create uh, a way of paying for the, the development. So when, in a way, um, the government say, uh, well, this is for paying for the transport system, well, in fact, I mean, the added value around the station could pay for itself, itself. in a way. So that's a different, so there's a different model of value capture uh, around transport. Uh, the question as well is like, at the moment we see uh, the land reclamation, I mean, just as a general thing, to be at the two end of the island, one in the north and one in the south, you know. So which is like the perfect way of creating more traffic because those people will be further away of everything. And so this is kind of like um, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, saying, well, by putting people so far away from everything, there will be even more traffic because those people have to get somewhere in a way. So, um, Do you have anything to add, Dr. Sir? Perhaps maybe is is to again uh, reiterate uh, really understanding what is their impact assessments, what could happen if you did certain things, but also to to really um, if you were going to learn from other places to really uh, do that in a slightly more thorough way as well, because um, there's many more models uh, and very sophisticated models of how questions of uh, how we use uh, and how we redistribute or distribute land resource or space resource to different parties in a society. Um, that is, uh, you know, Europe has many, many countries and many models, um, the Americas happen. Um, so it's not just, oh, uh, Asian island, hilly, sea re reclamation. It, it it's, it's a, needs to go beyond that. And, and I think, again, I'm going to emphasize the fact that I think um, it would be uh, um, uh, great if people could really engage in the possibilities. It could be incredibly innovative as well mm. the, and very sophisticated how you deal with this problem. Uh, instead, what we seem, at least what's been published, seems to be, oh, this is the first uh, attempt at answering the question and it seems to be a one-liner, right? Like, oh, there is a, there is a, a, it's a linear city from north to south. If you look at Penang Island from Georgetown in the north to this new proposal in the south, it's quite long. In between, everything is built up. There's terrible traffic jams at rush hour in that bit. So you build another road to put the cars on. There's a proposal, isn't there? Because we've looked mm -hmm. at the, the plans that go not up, but parallel to that. Well, that's a, a first, a, a, almost a gut reaction. But what are the other options to be explored? And to do that, it's very important to look widely and uh, in a sophisticated manner at all the very inventive things that people have done over the ages, how to use um, land resources. And I think I want to add that the point uh, I mentioned about um, uh, more than one floor. Now, land is a limited resource in, in a sense, well, mm. relatively limited. You can build more as you are doing now. But space is a much more easily expandable resource, i.e. going upwards. If you have two-story buildings and one-story buildings, you're doubling the space, if not doubling the land, if you see what I mean. Mm. So there's, I know the problem in Penang is not overcrowding of space, but overcrowding of, of on the roads. So then how do you encourage people to uh, 
uh, move in different ways? How do you locate the space concentration closer together so that people don't actually have to get in any sort of motorized transport even, which is the walking solution or even the cycling solution? You know, do you have air-conditioned cycle? It's interesting, like, for example, to compare uh, Hong Kong and then mm. Penang. So, for example, Hong Kong did have an airport inland and then move it uh, outland in a way, in a kind of reclamation uh, island. So, and then we were looking at, uh, at the airport and we, we look at the diversity, uh, diversity uh, reclamation. And we, we saw that, I mean, the, the island is always, is kind of directly under the flight path of the airport. And we thought, mm, how that can be a, a kind of like a high value land, I mean, created there, if you are just under the flight path of the, of the airport. So uh, one, one aspect that we, we thought, I mean, it, it might be better to swap around, I mean, to put the, the airport um, in, a, in a different place mm. and reclaim land for the airport. Many cities have done that, Hong Kong has done that, Osaka has done that in a way that's quite a few cities that have. And then, so I think uh, there's a different option, but they all rely on, um, on really much um, uh, understanding where you are at the time where you kind of making those decisions. And I think, there's not, it doesn't seem there's enough understanding about how Penang is moving around in a way. So that's, that's what we will be curious, like uh, having a look uh, at the kind of situations, like well, how does it work really before mm. kind of like uh, saying, okay, that's the solution we need. That's all the time we have for today's property show. Thank you guys for being on the show. I've been speaking to city planning and urban design researcher, Dr. Louis Sier, who is the assistant professor at the Department of Architecture and Civil Engineering in City University, and an urban planning expert, Professor Alain Sharadia, the program director of the Masters of Urban Design at the University of Hong Kong. I'm Simbi Boon, signing off for the morning run. We've got the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.